When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rockman back in the chair. And despite spending the last eight weeks interviewing former City stars, it's not often I've been able to say welcome to a player who is a City fan, first and foremost, a former City captain for eight years, someone who played over 400 games for the club. He's a league championship winner. He won player of the year twice as well. It's a very warm welcome to the Man City show, to Paul Power. Hi, Nigel. Good to uh, good to speak to you. Yeah, I'm uh, a nice little introduction. I, I was actually born in Openshaw, which is uh, n- not far from City's ground now, but I was brought up in Withenshaw, um, uh, South Manchester, uh, but a Manchester lad and absolutely delighted to be. Uh, listen, great. I, listen, I, gr- I grew up in Northenden, so uh, we weren't that far away from each other. Well, I lived, I lived in Northenden when uh, when I first got married, so uh, I, I lived on Longley Lane. So you, well, you probably uh, it was a little coach well. house. It was my first house. Well, I don't forget we were on Gibwood Road, which was uh, opposite the Post House Hotel, as it was in those days. The yeah, yeah, hotel, yeah. So. Yeah, that's posh. That's posh, Northern than that, by the way. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, really great to have you on, Paul. Uh, let, let's just talk about kind of your introduction to City because I think you you joined as a thirteen year old, didn't you? As a as a short little left winger, age thirteen, if my research uh, does me proud here, is that right? Well, your research is uh, is fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I used to play for. Um, a team called West Park Albion in, uh, in, in Woodhouse Park and um, uh, Harry Godwin, who was the chief scout of City at the, at the time, uh, saw me playing in a, a semi-final in Blakely. I think Harry lived uh, Blakely way and uh, we played in a semi-final one Sunday afternoon. He was watching the game and then uh, he approached the, our manager uh, and he said, um, you know, uh, let Paul know that I'm uh, interested in coming and speaking to his dad, and uh, and, and that's really how it all um, how it all began. At the age of thirteen, he he came down. He went for a beer with my dad um, <laughs> in the Cock of the North in Woodhouse Park, and uh, and then um, they de- sort of decided between them that um, that I, I could go down and do some training. You know, after school, uh, I used to go to. Uh, St. Augustine's Grammar School in uh, in um, Charleston, and uh, I used to cycle from there to Cheadle and then train. So, uh, you know, I, I've never been as fit as, as as when I was about thirteen. And because I've heard you talk before about this whole size issue, because you had a, a bit of a growth spurt, I think, when you were at Manchester Boys. And is is it right that you did feel that you were sometimes looked over because of your size and your height as, as a youngster in those days? Was it you saw it as a disadvantage to you in those days? Yeah, well, the age group really was so between 13 and 16. So even as a 13-year-old, I, I would have been one of the youngest lads there. Uh, and I wasn't the biggest, you know, I was a little left-winger. So uh, when it came, you know, we'd do all the training, um, with two coaches called Dick and Fred, they were they were different class. They were great, uh, and we used to train in uh, Cheadle. And then um, uh, at the end of the at the end of the training session, they'd um, you know they'd have a game, and I never seemed to get a game because you know I, I wasn't I wasn't considered sort of important for the A and B teams at that stage. You know I was just being introduced. And uh, I got a little bit uh, anxious about it, and uh, you know, it was um, I, I got a little bit disappointed when I kept missing out on these games at the end. So, so what happened? What what changed? Because I, I know you, you can. I think you left City for a time. You concentrated on playing for Manchester Boys, and then you got the call to go back to City. I think, didn't you? That's right. That's right. I was uh, I was playing for Manchester Boys against Ayrshire Boys. Um, and uh, Harry Godwin was watching the game, and he'd seen uh, that the, I'd developed physically. Uh, by this time, I was 17, and uh, he said, uh, "Come back and play, and you'll start. Uh, you'll you'll play a couple of games in the B team, but um, you know," he said, "from what I've seen tonight, uh, it won't be long before you're getting into the into the A team, which was like under 18s, the uh, the Lancashire League under 18s team." Uh, and that's what happened. So uh, uh, I actually went down to the to the ground. I, the, my first introduction to to uh, the tra- the changing room at City, Harry was taking me around, showing me the club, and 
and uh, Malcolm Allison and Joe Mercer had just got out of the bath. You know, they, there was a big sort of communal <laughs> bath in the in the dressing room, and he was showing me around the dressing room. Malcolm Allison and Joe Mercer were sitting there stark as these were like my heroes, you know, manager and uh, and coach of of Manchester City, and uh, they both sat there. St- I was as nervous as could be, but um, they they chatted me. Uh, Malcolm Allison took me out on the pitch and. Uh, had me running with a ball, you know, and uh, he was instrumental, really, in my, you know, in my, not that it would have ever been a problem because I was a big Manchester City fan, and, um, uh, but he was instrumental in, you know, just by taking time out to uh, to try and impress me and give me a few uh, uh, words of advice, you know, that um, it was always likely to be Manchester City for me. So for a lad who, who went to, to, to watch City uh, week in, week out, to, to, to then suddenly be there with, with Malcolm Allison, albeit with no clothes on, uh, <laughs> what, 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 what was that like then, Paul? Just, just, just help us understand a little bit. You know, we, the people who listen to the show are all fans. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, Pep sitting there starkers and saying, look, let's go for a run on the pitch. And, and, and suddenly you're there with your hero. How did that feel? What was that like? Yeah. Well, you know, you can imagine a, a 13 year old lad is so impressionable anyway. Um, and uh, for that to happen to me, I mean, all, all I could talk about f- for weeks was, uh, was my introduction to Manchester City, both to my parents when I got home, uh, all my mates that I played football with. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a sort of a stunning introduction, really. And um, um, it sort of laid the foundation, you know, for a for what turned out to be quite a long stay. But by the time I was 17 and, and, and Harry Godwin had seen me for the second time, by that time I'd, uh, I'd applied to go to university and, um, and I went to Leeds Polytechnic to study law. Uh, and then I used to come home every weekend and then the, the A-team used to play on a Saturday then. Uh, so it was great because, you know, I'd, I had no uh, lectures on a, a Friday afternoon. I went to Leeds Polytechnic to study law. I, I left on the train on uh, Friday afternoon. City paid me a few quid expenses for coming home, which was great as well. Uh, and then um, I'd play on the Saturday. I'd work, my mum and dad had a pub uh, at that time, so I'd work a couple of uh, evenings in the pub. So that sort of uh, helped me along financially as a student as well. And then I'd go back. I used to train on Monday morning um, at Winnership Park because it was just a running morning, a fitness morning, uh, which never frightened me, you know, because I I was always able to cope. Uh, But then to, you know, be running around Winnership Park with Colin Bell and like Frank Carradis and Colin Barrett, they were the good runners, Alan Oakes. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were all the good runners. Um, but then, you know, there were the, the, the other lads that weren't particularly good uh, at long distance running, like Glyn Pardo, God rest his soul, and Franny Lee, uh, Summerbeat. They, they weren't great um, distance runners, but when it came to the sprints, they really came into their own, you know. So it was a fantastic experience for me um, to be able to combine uh, an education with a, you know, with a football education as well. It's interesting. I wanted to come on to Glyn Pardo, and now you've mentioned it, it probably seems completely opportune to, to, to ask the question now. And as you say, God rest his soul, made his debut at City uh, as a 15-year-old, as we all know, still the record, youngest ever player to make his debut. That was the very first game I ever went to watch. 
Is was Glimpardo's right? Glimpardo's um, debut as a 15-year-old, you know? So, uh, so yeah, that was that was quite striking as well. But when when I when I played for City Reserves, uh, when I used to travel home from Leeds Uni and and then I'd, I'd play on the Saturday, Glyn was coming back from that horrendous uh, injury that he'd had. So he was playing at left back and I'd be playing at left wing, and he was unbelievably helpful to me. You know, I was just a raw bone student, weighed about ten and a half stone. Glyn would have played for England regularly had he not been injured, you know. And uh, he had a t- tremendous manner, you know, and uh, helpful. And I know, I know full well because Tony Book told me when he gave me my debut uh, that, that Glyn Pardo had told him that I was ready for the first team. I think Bucky had asked him, do you think he's ready? And uh, and, and Glyn put in a good word for me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, top, top man, top man. And, and how good a player was he as well then, Paul, would you say? You, you said he should have played for England, and if it wasn't for that terrible leg injury, you're absolutely right, he would have played many times, I'm sure. What, just just give us some of his qualities as a fullback. back oh, Well, he, first he was difficult to beat because uh, he was so well balanced and and so quick and so light on his uh, so light on his feet so it was difficult for a for a winger um, to beat him as as I've just said he was one of the quickest in the squad uh, so quick wingers couldn't run away from him either you know and um and then his use of the ball was uh, was great because he started off at, at City as a as a striker. Mm, you know, he was right. a centre forward, so he was comfortable on the ball. And um, you know, but I mean, to be fair, he, he he played alongside people like Alan Oakes and Mike Doyle and Tommy Booth, who you know would uh, would help him out in difficult situations in front of him. You know, he had players that were always uh, showing for the ball. The, the job is made easier depending on which players uh, are in the team with you. And just going back as a boy, before we go back, I've got a number of questions about university, if you like, and, and that interesting mix of being a footballer and uh, a law graduate. Uh, it, it, as a boy going to watch City, who, who were your heroes at the time? Just remind us some of those uh, great names that you would have watched, who you loved to watch play. Oh well, uh, there was only one for me, and that was uh, Neil Young, who, you know, was left-footed. He was lean and wiry, a little bit like me. Uh, I wanted to be Neil Young, you know, but I was never as elegant as him. Um, and you know, I remember, I remember the cup final when Young scored, and you know, he he always had ability to score goals, which again. Uh, pretty well deserted me, although you know I had one or two moments, but didn't we probably score enough goals. Yeah, but yeah. well, probably didn't score enough goals to be recognised. Uh, the likes of Neil Young and Colin Bell, of course, Nijinsky as they called him. And when I used to train on a Monday morning with them, and I realised why they called him Nijinsky because it didn't matter what distance he'd run. You know, he was just a great athlete. Um, but, but all all of that team, you know, that uh, that 70s team, Franny Lee and Mike Summerby, uh, Tony Coleman, all, all of them, they, they were all my heroes, really, you know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, great, great times. You, you and me both. Let, let's talk about this this this, this odd situation, because you, you, I remember it, it was it, every time your name was mentioned, you know, here's a lad uh, from Withenshaw, 
uh, playing for Man City, who's doing a law degree. Now, there were not many people playing football at that time who were law graduates as well at the same time. How, how did that feel to you? Was it was Did it seem like an issue at the time for you? Did people take the piss? How did people respond? No, no, absolutely. There were quite a few um, uh, players of that era who uh, had, had, uh, had attended university and got a degree. A degree. Steve Highway mm, uh, yeah. was one. Uh, and the other, uh, the other little winger, uh, Steve Highway, played on the left, and then they had the uh, oh my goodness, what was his name? A little winger, uh, I, I right? Him, I can't, I yeah, yeah. Okay, so there was him. There was Steve Koppel, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who who, uh, who was uh, academically bright as well. So, uh, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the normal route through to football. Um, that's definite, but. I spoke to a, um, one of the directors at Manchester City, and apparently Steve Highway used to be at Manchester City as a youngster. And then he um, he went to university in Liverpool, and uh, City didn't, you know, didn't really work hard to uh, to encourage him at, at the club. He then signed for Skelmersdale. And City lost him when he when he went to Skelmersdale. And I think when I when I came along in it in the same boat as it were, they didn't want to make the same mistake again. So they offered me in my final year at university. They they offered me uh, a semi professional contract, um, which which allowed me to earn uh, a few quid. You know that um, uh, as well as as well as the expenses that they used to pay me. So. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it worked out really well for me because one, I hadn't played for the first team. Uh, I was a regular in the reserves at that stage, but I wasn't sure to be a professional footballer successfully. So I always had the law degree to fall back on. And from the academic side, I said I promised myself and my mum. I mean, my mum was always she'd always push me uh, academically, and um, I promised her that if I kept passing me exams at the end of each year, then I would carry on uh, to see the degree through. And uh, that's that's what I ended up doing. So they, they gave me a semi-pro contract in my last year at university. I got the degree and then um, I actually signed a full-time contract when uh, Tony Book was manager in about, well, I was about 21 then. So uh, it would have been about 1973, 74, something like that. And you made your debut in what seventy five? What do you remember about your debut, Paul? Well, uh, I actually made my debut at Villa Park away. Um, I, I was sub, and I came on as sub. We were one nil down, and uh, I, had a, I had a great chance to. Uh, I broke through. I had a great chance to make it one all, and I, and I sort of uh, fired it over the bar. I didn't blaze it; it didn't go far over the bar, but you know. It, it, I should have done better, which is exactly what I meant when I said before. You know, I, a lot of I got myself into a lot of scoring opportunities and probably didn't convert as many as I should have done. But um, yeah, I remember that. And then uh, I think it was Leicester City. Uh, we we actually no, I, I, sorry, I've got that totally wrong. How can I? Uh, how can I do that? No, it was Leicester City that where they came on a sub, and it was Colin Bell who came off. 
uh, who I was substituted for. Everybody in this, it was it was at uh, Main Road. Everybody was applauding and standing up, and I thought it was because I was coming on, but I think it was, <laughs> I think it was more because Colin was coming off, like you know. But yeah, yeah, and then and then I made my debut the same uh, the same uh, game at Villa Park with uh, Kenny Clements. We we. Uh, we both made our debuts together and we roomed together uh, through our time at City Light. You know, another good lad. And in terms of scoring goals, you could have used your right foot, you know, Paul. The, the good Lord gave you two feet. Um, and uh, a <laughs> uh, great left peg that you have. You, you, you never use your right foot. I don't think I ever saw you use your right foot once. Discuss. Well, I tell you what, I, there's a... Uh, there is a journalist called Simon Hart who sent me, uh, uh, when, when I went to Everton, he sent me um, like the highlights of a game against Norwich, Everton against Norwich at Goodison Park. And, uh, and I scored a goal with, with my right foot from the edge of the box. And I, don't, I didn't even remember scoring, you know, that, that particular goal, which I, I just couldn't believe it when I saw, you know, when I saw it played back. Um, but, yeah, yeah, you're dead right. I mean, nobody nobody ever says he's got a great right foot. Nobody ever says that about <laughs> right-footed players. But, you know, like Neil Young. Neil Young had a yeah. great left foot. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's, uh, Asa Harford had a great left foot. He, you know, it's only left-footers that people say that about. So I'm quite happy with that. But was it ever an issue? Did, did, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the number of managers you played under. Did any of them ever take you on one side or were you ever coached to say, look, use your right foot more, practice with your right foot? Was that ever something that was tried to drilled into you or, or, or was that never an issue? No, no, it was never an issue. And uh, I think, to be honest, uh, like Malcolm Allison used to, used to take me out on the pitch, uh, on, on main road pitch, you know, and... Uh, and he'd have me just pinging diagonal balls as if out to Dennis Stewart, you know, uh, if, if he was wide on the right. And uh, myself and Tommy Caton, he used to have us just pinging diagonal balls right across the pitch. And uh, to, be f- to be fair, when I started, I could hardly reach, you know. I mean, uh, um, as I said, I'm not, I'm not the most muscular uh, sort of uh, footballer. Uh, but I used to, just with practice, uh, I ended up then being able to strike these uh, long diagonal balls, and sometimes, sometimes it'd come a little bit eye catching, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, but I think the emphasis was improve the left foot as much as you can. Uh, forget about the right foot, really. And you certainly stuck to that, sure. Uh, <laughs> in terms I, of, I uh... did my best. I did my best. <laughs> in t- <laughs> In terms of Malcolm, um, I think he he was the one who made you captain, wasn't he? As well, what what was your relationship like with him, sort of manager and, and captain? What 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 a personality! Of course, was the fantastic number two, as we've already discussed, to the great Joe Mercer, and suddenly he was back then as as the manager in a different role, different character. What was your relationship like with Malcolm? Yeah, it was um, it was fantastic. Mal Mal was a, a, a great coach of individual players you know um, he didn't really until I went and worked under Howard Kendall um, I didn't I didn't really understand about holding the line as a back four uh, when to drop off when to hold the line 
you know, recognising when the player on the ball had time uh, to deliver it, so you drop off. If he was under pressure, you could hold the line. That I didn't learn any of that until I went to Everton. But um, but Mal was fantastic. At, uh, he'd, he'd he'd take me out because I I could play either as a wide left sort of a left wing or or as a left back. And which and he used to he used to take me out and dribble past Skittles. Uh, you know, so he'd sort of try and quicken my feet up, uh, and then I'd go to the byline and get the crosses in, and or you know, for, as I just said, as a fullback, he'd get a range of passes um, to, try, to try and improve me as a delivery from, from the fullback position. So he was great at working uh, with individual players, um, and uh, yeah, I have a lot, a lot to thank him for for that. And what were his weaknesses then? What was he not so good at then, Big Mel? Um, well, I'd have to say his recognition of players, you know, because when when he took over, he got rid of uh, top quality players, you know, like Dave Watson, um, uh, Dennis Stewart, sort of left round about that time, I think. Joe Brian Kidd, he he, uh, he he didn't fancy Kidd. He only, he liked uh, athletes. You know, he only he he, he studied a lot of uh, East European football, and the, there was a big emphasis over there on uh, on uh, the athletic side of the game. Uh, as I just said, this hitting big diagonal balls into open spaces and getting players to run onto the ball, and uh, you know, he was he was really into that. He was into um, all the things again that, that he'd learned from there with regard to diet. Um, you know, sort of uh, how many calories uh, we had to eat a day. It was unbelievable. You know, he gave us a diet sheet and it would have been impossible to eat it. You know, it ended up, uh, you'd have uh, lunch, you'd have a full cooked breakfast, then you'd have lunch, then you'd have an afternoon tea, like scones and tea and cream and all sorts of stuff, and then a dinner. It was like 2,500 calories. And uh, it was ju- it was almost impossible to eat, but he believed that because we were training hard every day, you needed to uh, to get the calories in, uh, you know, so that so that your body could cope really. So he was very much into the physical side. Lots of weights. He used to do weights. Uh, you know, um, uh, he, we used to do a lot of work in the gymnasium, uh, bouncing from different height boxes. So you know, he was. He was a, uh, an innovative coach, but I think when he when he got rid of these uh, like established players, and then brought people in like you know Barry Silkman and uh, um, Michael Robinson and Steve Daly, who who didn't who didn't make it a success at Manchester City, you know. Mm. Uh, I think I think really, you know, he, he probably when he was there first. Joe Mercer would have been very instrumental in saying, well, s- slow down, Mal, you know. He brought a player called Paul Sugrew and Dave Whiffle uh, from non-league. And I think he I think he wanted to, to bring another Tony Book, you know, that he got from non-league. And his, his, um, his ambition was to bring another one and make a star of him, you know. It didn't quite work out the second time. We ended up getting relegated, of course. But, um, uh, yeah. 
I, I had a great understanding with him, mate. But he, he made me captain because I was a good athlete. It was as simple as that. There were there were players in the team like Joe Corrigan. Uh, whether he didn't want a goalkeeper as a as a captain, I'm not sure. But uh, you know, there were other players that were Tommy Booth and and others that were far more um, uh, captain material than I was. I was too inexperienced, really. You know, but uh, he helped me out. He helped me through it and. Uh, and a couple of the directors at the time did as well. Um, Ian Niven and Michael Horwich and uh, Peter Swales, you know. So uh, it wasn't a problem until I started to play poorly. Uh, and then, you know, I, I got a little bit of stick from the crowd. Well, not a little bit of stick. I got a lot of stick from the crowd. Um, you know, being you a local boy and the captain, that, it, was, uh, it was hard to take, to be fair. And, and how did you do with that, Paul, that, that stick that you got? And it was interesting, I was talking to uh, Richard Edgehill um, a couple of weeks ago as well, um, and, and he too went through a similar period. How did that impact on you? How did that affect your game? And were there people at the club you could talk to? How was that dealt with in those days? Um, I didn't really go and speak to anybody at the club, you know, um... Um, and no, I, I, I sort of dealt with it myself, but I, I would, you know, it got to the stage where when I went out on the pitch, I was nervous. I mean, I'd, I'd won, I'd won the, the Player of the Year award a couple of times, you know, support supporters Player of the Year. In the two years that we we actually won anything, so 1981 when we got to the cup final, and then 1985, 86 when we got promotion from the second division to the to the first division. Uh, I won the Player of the Year. So, but I think when you when you've been at a club as I had maybe for 13 years, and they've seen you play your best football, and they can't understand when you when you don't play to that standard all the time, you know. But there are a lot of elements that go into football, you know. There's, there's sort of physical tiredness, slight injuries, um, all sorts of things that maybe some of the supporters don't know anything about. Problems at home, maybe a bit of nervousness. You know, I don't. They, they, they accumulate, and uh, and to be fair, uh, I played so poorly at one stage. Do you remember Helen with the bell? Of course, yeah, sure. Well, Helen, Helen, um, we were playing at Old Trafford, and uh, and I just got married. We we got uh, Julie and myself got married in uh, 1981, just after. Uh, just after the FA Cup final, we got married in the June, and then the following season, uh, I didn't reach the heights that I had the season before. And Helen stood; she was sort of down, <laughs> she was down the road from Julie. Julie was at the game with her dad, and uh, and Helen shouted, "Power! You've never been the same since you got married." And <laughs> and my wife, and my wife was sitting three three places down from her, and she. <laughs> She just stood up and gave her a mouthful, like, you know, so full, full march to her for that because uh, I don't think there'd have been much of a fight if she'd have ended up going that uh, big Helen like. Listen, let, let's talk. Let's talk about the nineteen eighty. Let's talk about nineteen eighty one then, because you know you've never been asked this question before, Paul. I'm sure, ever. Uh, the uh, semi final against Ipswich, nil nil, free kick. Yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. us through it. Talk us through it from there, Mister Power. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll talk you through it before before the free kick because um, that game went into extra time, and um, at full time, um, 
one of the Ipswich players was walking off the pitch with his boots under his arm and I said, uh, I think you'll find there's extra time light. And he said, oh, you're joking, aren't you? He said, I thought it was a replay. He said, oh, if it's extra time, you can have it. And I thought, I thought, I hope all you bloody mates are thinking exactly the same thing, like, you know. Anyway, uh, the ball's played forward and Dave Bennett was injured and, uh, uh, sorry, was was uh, was. And uh, the the ball was set up. We we uh, Steve McKenzie would knock it short to me, and then the player on the end of the wall uh, for them would come and close the ball down, and then I'd knock it uh, to the side again for Tommy Caton to come and strike it with his left foot, um, which was much sweeter than mine, like you know. But anyway, uh, Steve McKenzie knocked the ball to me. Nobody came off the end of the wall, so I thought for a penny in for a pound here and it's the best decision I ever made because Paul Cooper was in goal that day not the biggest goalkeeper so I just bent it in and it went in the top corner and uh, I just saw all the crowd you know all the city crowd were, were in the end behind that um, behind that goal and they all just went up uh, at the same time it was absolutely magnificent you know to see and uh Unexpected as well, I think. A lot well, we were, would have probably we said. We were the underdogs, <laughs> and uh, I, I was one of those people, Paul. I was one of those people jumping up and down. Believe me. Yeah, uh, yeah. You were probably you were probably one of those people saying, "What's he doing shooting as well?" <laughs> <were you?" laughs> well, as long as it's your left leg, it's not a problem, Paul. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. Leg, that's yeah, right. No problem. That's right. Uh, and then, of course, it meant that you mm. led Manchester City out to an FA Cup final. Not. Not the first time. I think it's on record. You led City out at Wembley three times and and didn't want to win on any occasion. Of course, what was what was, yeah, meeting, yeah. The Queen, what was meeting the Queen Mum like then? That was a, a thrill for you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, the whole um, the whole week was uh, the week before uh, the build up. You know, um, the, the the camaraderie of the team, the fact that we'd. You know, I mean, Ipswich were massive favourites, uh, and probably Tottenham were as well. But we knew if we could beat Ipswich, we we could go and beat Tottenham. And to be fair, we we uh, Tommy Tommy Hutch scored in both ends if, in in the first game, and um, we finished the game so much stronger than them. You know, we had young players in the side like Ray Ranson and Nicky Reed, Tommy Caton. They were they were. Uh, bombing forward and Nicky Reed was running through people they, they you know they had players that were struggling to walk uh Ozzy Ardiles and Glenn Hoddle and people you know they were they weren't as fit as us and I know I say now if that if that game had played an extra 10 minutes uh, we would have beaten them in the you know in the first game but unfortunately we uh, uh we couldn't get the goal that we required and uh and then it went to the replay, which, um, you know, everybody... I saw it last week, the goal that Ricky Villa scored um, for Tottenham. But Steve McKenzie scored a better goal than that. Uh, you know, a fantastic volley from the edge of the box. And it's never, ever shown on the television because <laughs> Ricky Villa scored the winning goal, or, you know, and it's... Uh, uh, it's just a shame for Steve McKenzie, really, because that goal was a, a, a special one at Wembley. Well, I mean, look, Ricky Lear's goal wasn't a bad one. Uh, Tommy Caton ended up. Yeah, but he should have been dealt with. He should, should have been dealt with outside the box, and uh, sure, you know, sure. it, it, 
if it had been tackled outside the box and even fouled there, uh, then I would back Joe Corrigan against anybody taking a free kick from outside the edge of the box. But once he got into the box, you know, people had to be careful, uh, you know, not leaving a trailing leg out. And he took full advantage of that, full march to him. And, uh, you know, he he, uh, he slotted it past Joe and um, the rest is history, unfortunately. Absolutely. And of course, you were, I think, if I'm right in saying that you were playing in that, that horrible game against Luton where we needed a draw to stay up. Um, and David Pleat did his dance all over Main Road in his rather tatty polyester suit. Um, do, do you still have nightmares about that polyester suit then, Paul? <laughs> no, not really, because I didn't see it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, were, we were just, I mean, there was a massive pitch invasion um, you know, at Main Road, and we were um, our way to the tunnel, and uh, we were sort of uh, inundated with supporters, if you like. And um, uh, there was, uh, I just remember the huge disappointment, you know, uh, because we'd uh, we'd won the, the the game before against Brighton to put ourselves in a position where we only needed to draw the last game. And, uh, you know, we had good players in the team then, like Kevin Reeves and uh, David Cross, and like a mixture of uh, experience and um, uh, and youth. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, it, it wasn't to be on the day. Uh, the cross went in, um, and it was just it was just a massive shock because nobody was expecting it, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, that that was the lowest point of my career, just as much as the semi-final goal uh, was the highest. And I always ask people on social media for questions when I say sort of our guests are coming on. What One of the questions we've had related to that is, in 83, were City too good to go down, is the question. Uh, well, obviously not, because we did. But um, but if I, look at, if I look at the team then... Uh, and some of the players that we had, uh, you know, uh, that, that that had done fantastically well for being like uh, Ray Ranson and Bobby McDonald and Joe Corrigan and uh, Asa Hartford. Uh, I've already mentioned Kevin Reeves and Dennis Stewart. You know, they were they were all tremendous players, and perhaps we shouldn't have been. Um, in the position that we'd got ourselves into, but we did. And, uh, you know, we just weren't able to um, bring it all together on the last game, uh, w- which is what we needed to do. But, yeah, too many good players, really, that, um, you know, to allow that to happen. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was a big, a big disappointment from that point of view. And what's said in a dressing room, Paul? You get back to the dressing room, we see scenes at the moment, of course, we, we win every trophy pretty much, you know, for the last few years we've held every trophy. We see now images and, and, and video of players celebrating. But turning it on his head to 83, City shouldn't have gone down, as you, you already said, some great players in that side, but they were relegated. What What's the mood and what's said in the dressing room by the manager when you all walk back in? Pleats doing his dance in his polyester suit, you're back in the dressing room. What's said? Yeah, yeah. Well, there were two feelings. One was embarrassment uh, that we've allowed to get ourselves in in that situation. Uh, And secondly, um, it was just silence. 
there was there was nothing said. Normally, after a game, a player might say to another player, "Why didn't you give that ball to my feet?" Or and then an argument would go, and then a couple of th- two or three or four players would get involved. Nobody said anything, um, you know, on that on that in the dressing room after that game. Everybody just sat there quietly. Uh, you know, just having a cup of tea or whatever, whatever drink. Uh, it was just complete devastation. Um, you know, nobody could speak. I think that was uh, pretty much the uh, the mood of the the dressing room. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll never forget the silence. You could actually hear the silence. Strange to say. We're going into a break. Before we do, we're going to talk about obviously your time at Everton and uh, and other bits and pieces and and what you've done since since sort of leaving football. Um, a, a friend of mine tells me in one game, I think it was against Liverpool, you, you lost a contact lens. Is this something you remember that you sort of ran, ran down the tunnel or something? You had to go and get it from the dressing room and run back out again. Is it? Is that something you remember? Was it against Liverpool? Well, I, I actually do remember it, but and it was against Liverpool because when. When Kevin Keegan came, uh, became manager of uh, Manchester City, and I was on the coaching staff then uh, with the youth team, and we trained uh, at, the same, at the same Carrington complex as the first team, and uh, Kevin Keegan said, you know, what I remember about you was uh, crawling around on our hands and knees trying to find a contact lens. <laughs> so, so it obviously uh, had an impression on, on their players as much as it did on me. <laughs> Fantastic. Listen, uh, more from Paul Power straight after this short break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. We've got Paul Power with us. Uh, Paul, just one England B international cap, I think uh, early 80s, 1980, 81 against Spain. Do you think you should have been given the chance to play for the full England team? Uh, No, no. Not really. I was I was a, a late start, as as we've already mentioned. Sort of not, you know, sort of uh, starting the game until I was almost twenty one as a professional. And to be fair, at that time, uh, Kenny Sansom was probably the undisputed um, best left back in the in the first division. And then it, there was Derek Statham, who was uh, left back at West Brom as well, who uh, definitely definitely ahead of me but then you know I think when when I had a, a tremendous season in 1981 and I caught the eye with the you know with the goals and the running the FA Cup uh, and I think maybe 
um, John Bond had been contacted by the England manager, uh, Bobby Robson, I think it was at the time. But he, and uh, he'd obviously asked uh, John Bond, did he think I was, you know, good enough to play? So he, so he, he invited me to play uh, against Spain in an England B tournament, in uh, not tournament, sorry, in a, a one-off England B game uh, in Granada. And um, I did okay. I, I, uh, I, I you know, I, f- I felt I hadn't let myself down. Don Howe uh, and... Uh, um, yeah, Don Howe was the, was the coach, and uh, you know I did, I did okay. I was, you know, nothing spectacular, um, and uh, you know probably well I was 28 at that age, so uh, so probably uh, a little bit late for me uh, to be coming into the into the full England side when uh, there were other good players around. To be fair, so no, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. I was just delighted. I mean I. You know, I have I have the cap in a in a display cabinet, um, sort of uh, in in the dining room, and uh, and it's wonderful to have it. You know, it would have been great for it to be a, a full England cap, but uh, I I had a good career, and I've got absolutely no um, massive disappointment about not playing for England. Although that would have been the icing on the cake if I had. Sure. Uh, and where do you keep? Uh, obviously, you, what, what else have you got in your cabinet? So you've got it in your dining room. I'm, I'm always fascinated by players. I was talking to Joe Corrigan, and he has all his memorabilia in the box in the loft. And there's Nicky Weaver's got a full trophy cabinet in his like games room with his snooker table. Where, where does Paul Power sit then in terms of? Uh, is it is it box in the loft or is it? Have you got loads of stuff in the dining room? How, how do you display that? Uh, a, a little bit of both actually. I've uh, I keep I keep some uh, the, the more special memorabilia like FA Cup uh, finalist medal and uh, the uh, championship medal that I won at Everton I keep those safe um, not on display and uh, and other things that, that um, you know I've, like when we got to Wembley we have we were, everybody by the, by the place has a little Paddington bear and it's in the colours of the team that you that you play in. So I've got a little blue and white Paddington bear with my name on it, and uh, you know it's got the the name of the teams that you played on the way to Wembley, and and it's it, it, just nice little memorabilia, even even things like testimonial um, gifts that you know I played in Bruce Grobelar's testimonial, and he he's got he gave everybody a little uh, rhino like an ashtray with a rhino on it. Uh, just things that, that are memories of football rather than, you know, rather than sort of uh, special things that, uh, that, that I won, if you like. Um, but but the, the cap, the cap is a, a proud possession and, uh, and sure. it's, it's, just, it's just in with uh, a few nice cut glasses, you know. Very nice. Uh, so, so how hard a decision was it to leave City? Uh, am I right in thinking that you kind of just signed a new contract and then Billy McNeil did a bit of a, a deal with Howard Kendall at, uh, at Everton? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, I had just signed a, a new contract uh, for a year. Uh, I was 32. And uh, had, had I stayed at the club till I was 33 then I would have been entitled to a free transfer. And um, I think 
knowing that they had Andy Inscliffe coming up uh, below me, uh, and a younger younger player and good legs, uh, and a good player, uh, they probably thought that they could um, uh, they could cash in uh, because a year later, if I if I served the end of that contract that I signed, they wouldn't have got anything for me. Uh, so I ended up going to Everton for seventy-five grand, which was, uh, you know, uh, it was a, a sort of a, a bargain. I think a lot of Evertonians would have thought, "What's he paying seventy-five grand for a thirty-two-year-old for?" But at the time, um, Pat Van den Howe had problem, a problem with his ankle, uh, so uh, there, there was a position there at left back. Uh, obviously, I'm, when I when I spoke to Howard. He said to me, um, you know, I can't guarantee you a first-team place, but you'll be, you'll be in the squad uh, and you'll be a valuable member of that. He sold the club to me well. Um, and uh, I was actually away on holiday with, uh, uh, with Julie because we, um, we, we went down to the Sorton Sands Hotel in Devon. We didn't, we didn't go abroad that year. And uh, I got the phone call while I was there. It was Jimmy for his... Jimmy Frizzell phoned me because Billy McNeil was away in um, South America, I think. He was doing some television for the World Cup that was in South America. Uh, and then that was it. So uh, uh, I spoke to uh, Howard Kendall and then he said, well, look, don't, don't interrupt your holiday. He said, come when you get back. He said, uh, drive over to Liverpool, to Belfield, which I had no idea where it was, uh, uh, Everton's training ground. Uh, so I got directions and then I, I ended up meeting Howard there um, and um, it was all done and dusted in um, in short order. I, I was actually due a testimonial at Manchester City, which had been cancelled twice, once because of the Bradford fire and once because the police wouldn't police it after, uh, I think, a Birmingham or a, a Birmingham and Leeds, had, uh, there was a player killed at the game and the police wouldn't police the game anyway. But it, it, it was supposed to be against Manchester United, and I couldn't get a, a replay day off uh, Ron Atkinson. So Howard said, right, he said, come and sign for uh, Everton. Manchester City can play Everton uh, before the season starts. You can play half a game for City and half a game for Everton, and, and that was it. And, uh, you know, he, he, he gave me a, a sort of a, a sum for signing on for them. And the only obstacle was uh, that I was due um, a loyalty payment. You know, you had it written into your contract that if you, if you stayed loyal to Manchester City, they'd, they paid me £8,000 at the end of the season. And uh, this, the end of the season, well, I had to be at the club on July the 1st. This was about June the 27th. <laughs> uh, and uh, Howard spoke to Billy McNeil on the phone and he said, listen, uh, he's due uh, a loyalty payment. Manchester City, uh, but I want him to sign now while he's here. Uh, will he still get his loyalty payment if he's not there on July the 1st? And Billy McNeil said, I don't think our chairman will agree to that. So he said, right, OK, well, what Everton, what Everton will do is they'll pay uh, Paul Power's loyalty fee for being loyal to Manchester City. And that was it. And uh, so, so you, how got, could, you got your eight grand? I got the eight grand and I got a signing on. For, for you know, for for actually signing for for uh, uh, at Liverpool for Everton, and um, you know 
he just impressed me so much. It was almost as if, look, I want you, and this is proof that I do. Um, so, you know, as regards as regards managers, he was uh, probably the uh, the most influential that that I've ever played for, along with um, Colin Harvey, because uh, Colin was his assistant at the time, and the, and the two of them were really. Um, helpful and receptive and gave me knowledge that, about the game i find that really interesting paul that you, you spent what 13 years at city i think you only had two seasons at everton and you're saying that you kind of learned almost i don't want to put words in your mouth but you're saying you kind of almost learned more from the the harvey kendall regime than you did for all those managers you played for at, at city it, it, that's that's interesting do you just want to well, expand on on howard kendall a little bit more for us well, yeah, I mean, I, I played under some great coaches uh, at Manchester City, you know, um, um, and they, but they, they all tended to gravitate towards uh, keeping the ball, um, uh, getting the ball forward early, keeping possession of the ball. You know, it was it was a, an attacking John Bond. John Bond is perfect. You know, he used to. He, uh, he used to love Kevin Reeves because he could play the ball into Reevesy and he'd hold it up, um, you know, and so we'd get further up the pitch. Uh, Phil Boyer was a, was a nice foil for him, you know, and, uh, and they played well together. We always played 4-4-2. Um, and, um, you know, there, there were lots of work done with wingers getting wide, getting crosses in, where to attack the crosses. Howard Ke- I was a fullback, of course, uh, by this time. Uh, Howard Kendall and uh, Colin Harvey worked on the back four when the opposition had the ball. It wasn't all about when we had the ball. You know, it was like, uh, now, what do we do now? They've, he's got time on the ball. What, what what do we do as a back four? You know, and it, was, it wasn't just individual work, like the, as Malcolm Allison had done. It was more uh, phases of play, you know, with the back four, with the midfield players. We had Paul Bracewell and, and Peter Reid, who would protect the back four. Uh, you know, it was yeah, it was uh, it was a more rounded knowledge of the game, both when we had the ball and when we didn't. You know, they they were they were uh, top coaches between them, and they were both very young. You know, I mean, they were they used to join in in, in the uh, the sessions that we had at the end of training, and they were as good as some of the players that we had at the team. We had some really good. players. Like Trevor Stephen and uh, Kevin Ratcliffe and uh, Adrian Heath and Graham Sharp, you know, lots of good Kevin Sheedy, uh, but these two could join in and hold their own, you know, and they'd been retired a couple of years by that time. And you didn't, uh, so yeah, uh, they're very good. You, you didn't you didn't score many, but of course you scored for Everton against City and and didn't celebrate. Um, I'm not a big fan of that. I just, just you know, to put my cards on the table here, Paul. You know, you put you, you, you Everton were good to you. They, they paid your eight grand for you. They, they, they took you on, signing on fee. Or you know, their fans are cheering you in their shirt. You score a goal and then you don't celebrate. What's that all about? Well, uh, the situation that that both both teams were in. Um, was sort of instrumental in that decision. And plus the fact that there were players like Mick McCarthy, uh, Neil McNabb, uh, Kenny Clements, and, you know, players that I'd, that I'd been mates with the season before, 
and they were in a dire situation uh, with the threat of relegation. In fact, they got relegated that season. And I've scored a goal that would contribute towards City being relegated. I'm a City fan. You know what I mean? So, And I wasn't going to run around... Uh, even though, you know, we, we had our hands full with uh, a competition from Liverpool to win the league at the other, uh, at the other end, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have run round and embarrassed my mates, um, you know, by flailing my arms uh, in front of them. Um, so I knew, I knew how they were feeling, having gone through relegation myself, as we've just spoken about. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I was uh, I was happy to score the goal, but to be fair, I, I can't re- I can't remember who the goalkeeper was uh, that day. But he but he wasn't. You know, if I'd have been in goal, I think I could have said. That. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't a magnif- it wasn't a magnificent shot. It was a it, it was a, an ordinary goal, if you know what I mean. But anyway, sure. uh, by the by, it was. Uh, it, it was important to Everton, uh, and as it turned out, it was important uh, for City as well, but for different sure. reasons. That that team, you've already said your names on the players, that Everton Championship side of 8-7 was a fantastic team. Uh, question again, another social media question. Would you have given that up, that First Division Championship, for the FA Cup win with City in 81? There you go. How's that for a question? <laughs> oh, my God, that is a question. Um, God, whichever that way I answer that question now, I'm going to upset somebody, aren't I? But, <laughs> Go on, upset, upset somebody. Go on, give us an answer. But no, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I would have loved uh, to medal with Manchester City, and I, I didn't win anything with them. To be fair, um, we came close in 1976. Uh, we finished runners-up to Liverpool in the league when we had uh, uh, the likes of Dave Watson and uh, Dennis Stewart and Brian Kidd, Royal, Joe Royal. You know, we, we, had a, we had a great side then. Um, and that, and that, would have been, that would have been great to, to win the league with City. It would have been, you know, everybody's dream to win an FA Cup final. But, you know, we'd done ever so well to get to, get to the final, I think. And... Um, um, but no, I think a, a, a league championship medal, uh, no matter who you win it with, is an indication that you've had uh, a successful season over 42 games, you know, rather than just maybe a lucky cup run in five or six games. So it's more important to win a league championship medal than it would be to win an FA Cup, in my opinion. Fair enough. Thanks for your honesty. You've upset some people now. You realise that, don't you? I, I really hope uh, that uh, that I haven't. But uh, I love the. Uh, I mean, I, I love Manchester City. Manchester City still. My son uh, works uh, in the academy there still, and uh, you know I have contact with the uh, with people around the club still. I absolutely adore the place, and uh, um, yeah, but but. Uh, I've answered it honestly, and uh, if I, if I'd have won a, a, a league championship with Manchester City, that would have been uh, better still. Of course. Uh, let's just talk briefly, Paul, just about the the, the time 
sort of since you, you've left City. Obviously, you, you did your couple of seasons at Everton. You, you did a couple of those coaching. Um, I want to talk about the PFA as, as well because you worked in the coaching department, and then of course the community program, football in the community. Um, mm-hmm. And a, a question I've got for you. Uh, which again has, has come through from one of our contributors, is is that do you think that playing for City with all the community interaction that, that brings with it, did it mean that ex-City players were better equipped for that community work? You know, we think of the people like Alex Williams and Paul Lake and Kevin Reeves and Tommy Hutch. It is, you know, is a long list. Do you think that the way City were operating in those times of, of working with the community made them better community officers? Would that be... Would Absolutely. That be Ab- Absolutely. Um, and uh, you've uh, you've omitted to mention one person, Roger Reed, who who was actually the uh, the, the sort of chief exec of the uh, of the community program uh, and oversaw oversaw the whole thing. I was I after I lost I lost my job as a coach at Everton and uh, I applied for, um, a job as area manager in the northwest. Uh, and there were ten clubs that had. Um, uh, that had community development officers. City was one. It was Alex Williams. It was always the Alex Williams Community Program. He did a fantastic job at City. Uh, Brian Hall is was the was the lad at Everton. He was the other um, the, the the little winger that uh, that had a degree. Well done. Well done. As well. Well remembered. Uh, yeah. And uh, Alan Alan Wickles, uh, was at Everton. Uh, Kevin Reeves was uh, was at Wrexham at the time. And uh, you know, so we, they were, they were, yeah. It was, it was a great, a great period, a, a learning experience for me. Um, but then uh, it, it gave me an opportunity to get to know Gordon Taylor. Gordon Taylor is the best manager that I've ever had. He did unbelievable things for footballers, and you know, I'm. I subscribe to the Daily Mail, and sometimes I'm embarrassed to say that that I do because they give Gordon Taylor such a hard time because they don't understand what he's actually done for players. I have a pension now uh, that that really um, finished when I stopped playing, so I was about 37, 38 when I stopped playing. But I still get a pension all these years later, and that is down to work that, uh, that Gordon Taylor, you know, he got a non-contributory pension fund for all footballers. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I speak to Ian Mellor regularly and uh, we all benefit from uh, from the things, you know, like Ian's had problems with, uh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but he's, he's had problems lately with his heart. He's been in hospital. Uh, the PFA have funded a lot of that treatment. Manchester City or Everton wouldn't do that. You know, even the, the two clinics that I paid, played for, they wouldn't do that. But the, the, but the football, uh, the, the, the Professional Footballers Association have used all the television money for the benefit of players and former players. And, uh, you know, I've got to say, um, he's under a little bit of pressure at the moment, Gordon, and uh, yeah. I hope that he, that he comes through it um, uh, on the right side because he, he, he was a tremendous supporter of me uh, when, when I went as head of the coaching and um, uh, you know we did it. We did a report on how to improve youth coaching. And now you look at what re- youth coaching has available with academies, and you know young players attending schools in the morning and then going to the academy in the afternoon. All based on you know what Obser were doing under Gerard Houllier and people. 
you know, all those things were recommended due to a report from the from that was funded by the PFA. And, uh, well, you know, football well, has an awful lot uh, to thank uh, Gordon for. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope people realise that when uh, when his time comes to step down. Well, I'm glad I did. I'm glad, genuinely glad I gave him the opportunity to, to put that aside because uh, we, we always read the negatives, don't we? Certainly at the moment. And I know I spoke to other people as well who speak very highly of what he has done for football. So I'm delighted to give you the opportunity. Uh, that yeah, was, yeah. I, I, know, I know you went back to the City Academy and, and you worked with Jim Cassell. Um, uh, and, and now, of course, um, you, you live in, uh, in in a different country, of course. I'm, I'm not speaking to you in, in Widdenshaw or Northern Dun or Longley Lane or Gibwood Road. Uh, you're, no. uh, you're, you're living in parts foreign, aren't you? Just tell, tell us a little bit about your uh, where you are then, Paul. Yeah, well, it... It was always it, it was always a plan uh, to retire in, retire to France. I had a I had a motorhome since the kids were about age ten or twelve. Like I said, Nikki Nikki's now thirty eight, so I've had a motorhome all that time. We used to go on France to holidays. Both my children studied French at university uh, and uh, and lived a year out. Uh, Nikki was at Pau and Stephanie was at Montpellier. And so we had a chance to see lots of France, and uh, um, we ended up buying a, a, a holiday home near Bézier, uh, which is in the long region of, uh, of France. So it's so it's the the sort of last area before you go over the Pyrenees, uh, really, you know, into Spain. So it's very it's even south of the Côte d'Azur, and. Um, uh, it's, it, it's gorgeous. It's a relaxed way of life. I, I couldn't afford to live on the Côte d'Azur, uh, but I can afford to live in the in the longer dock, which is a, a cheaper area to live. Uh, and it's uh, it's got fantastic beaches. We're, we're sort of in between and Carcassonne. Uh, Carcassonne with all the history of the Cathars and, and, and that religious era. Uh, so it's a really, really interesting area, and uh, we've we've been here now, Julia and myself, for six years, and um, she misses the grandchildren, and maybe you know, in a in a couple of years' time, it might be time to uh, make our way back to England. But uh, I've enjoyed my time in France enormously, and um, it's really, really relaxing over here. Well, well, listen. We've really enjoyed your time on the Man City show, and I loved watching you play. A uh, bit left, a bit left-sided for me. You should practice that right foot a bit more. But we, we've covered that one off, I think, already, haven't we, Paul? Uh, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go in the barn now, and I'm going to practice with my right foot just for you. Cheers, Paul. Good man. <laughs> Before you go, okay. you've, got, you've, got the, you've got to suffer the quick fire round. So just to remind you here, and we've been doing this the last uh, couple of months with the Exeter players. You can't think about it too much. Whichever comes into your head first, give us your answer. Are you ready for the quick fire round, Paul Power? Okay, go for it. Right, Marmite, love it or hate it? Hate it. Sky blue or red and black stripes? Red and black stripes. Bell or De Bruyne? Bell. Christmas or your birthday? Ooh, my birthday because it doesn't cost as much. <laughs> Ski slopes or the beach? The beach. Pint of beer or glass of wine? Pint of beer. Main road. Even even living in France. Sorry, sorry. Main Road or Etihad Stadium? Oh, Main Road, without a doubt. Tea or coffee? 
This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.